purposely put myself in physical, mental, emotional stress and trauma to work out how I keep going in a calm and focused way to get the job done no matter what. Now, all of my events I do, I don't do races. I don't want to be the first. I don't want trophies. I don't want anything like that. You know, my, all my events are for a completely different purpose. And to be able to push myself that far really shows me and other people who live vicariously through my challenges of what's possible in life. That's what it's all about now. That's Damien Ryder. He's a multiple world record holding adventure and extreme sports athlete and a world-renowned wellness and mindset coach. Testing and challenging yourself, because every time you do test and challenge yourself and process it, you know, we, we become stronger and become proud of who we are. We get excited of, of who we are and what we can actually do. This man recently skydived off the top of a hot air balloon at seven and a half thousand feet. He's pushed a three-ton truck down the Gold Coast Highway, skateboarded for 56 days through the Mojave Desert and completed an entire marathon carrying a mattress on his shoulder. And that's not all. People seem to get what they want out of my events and watching them vicariously, whether it's them doing their own challenges or them taking excuses out of their lives for just getting started again or and the main reason is just giving them hope. Damien pulls off these mind-blowing feats to prove nothing is impossible, and he does it all in the name of raising awareness for survivors of complex trauma like himself. Damien suffered horrific child abuse throughout his young life and grew up without the tools to make sense of what happened to him. I mean, emotional, physical, sexual, you know, the, all of the above. He abused drugs to try to escape and ultimately made multiple attempts on his life before beginning his extraordinary turnaround. It's not like I block it out at all, you know, it, it's still there. It's just, it's just non-existent in my life. I'm a different person, I'm, you know, I'm proud of who I am. He's been crowned Men's Health Man of the Year and is a two-time Australian of the Year nominee. You'd be hard-pressed to find a story more worth hearing than this one. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. This episode is sponsored by Bolton Brothers, the guys dedicated to changing the face of men's mental health, and Ski for Life, the organization promoting mental health and suicide prevention through their annual ski relay in South Australia. Check out their websites and follow them on socials. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Damien, how did the abuse that you suffered as a child begin? Well, look, it, you know, without really even understanding it at the time, it, it kind of began when I was like two years old from my grandmother who was just this crazy alcoholic and, you know, she abused my mum and her siblings, and she kind of just carried on. You know, I'd get left at her house and she'd get drunk and throw me around or, you know, the, the fireplace that was in her house, she'd put chestnuts in there and they'd sort of pop out and I'd have to catch them, they'd burn me. And but I didn't really know what was going on at the time. But at the same time, I knew I had to escape. And because of it, I guess I became an athlete because just down the road from the house was this running track and they'd always have meets there and, 
you know, I would go down there and, and run next to them. Like when I was a kid from the age of like two to four, I remember sneaking through the gates and running next to them on the tracks as they're running down. I just didn't realise really until I did my film Heart of the Sea, you know, how much of an impact that made on my life going forward, you know, as that was, you know, my tool, my survival tool, you know, to, to be active you know, and start pushing myself, I guess. So, and then after then we, uh, we moved to Adelaide and then my mum's boyfriend turned up in the house and it was just, you know, crazy. I was about six years old and out front of the house and he's just beating up all these police on the front lawn and that's kind of my introduction to this guy. And, you know, there's constantly like blood all over the house. My mum was beaten up, we were beaten up, we were thrown against walls, like there's holes everywhere. Like, it's just crazy. Like, <laughs> just... The thing back of how it was, you know, and of what became normal in my life, just getting programmed in such a wrong and negative way, like just, you know, thinking every day could be my last day, just turning to activities like skating, you know, that's why I've got my boards up on the wall, like, you know, just I just skate from sun up to sun down and just keep pushing the limits as much as I could, you know, there was nights I'd have to sleep in rock caves on the beach and everything. So I guess that started off my, you know, my attraction and my connection to the ocean as well, you know, as like a survival tool, I guess. But again, not really understanding any of that. And, you know, it wasn't really in mainstream about how you heal or anything back in those days. You couldn't talk to anyone, you know, there's not like the gurus that get around now that sort of give you a little bit of insight. So you know, it was really just about working everything out myself and had no role models or mentors really. Just, you know, as I got older, it was like, you know, these dudes like the Bones Brigade and I'd watch their vids and I'd try and copy what they were doing and, and kind of that was it, you know, and I just always knew I had more in myself, but it was just about really exploring it and seeing who I was and, you know, I just... I did all different disciplines of, of sports, like baseball and cricket and soccer and, and pretty much everything and always excelled at, at whatever I did. So I knew I was always going to be a natural athlete, but um, just didn't really know, didn't have anyone to guide me in, in the right direction then, you know, but as I said, you know, it's like, you know, 30 years later and, you know, I'm a professional athlete now. You know, I travel the world and I do what, you know, I probably should have been doing for the last 30 years. But, you know, I guess I'm my own mentor and I'm my own role model to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. Things might take a little bit of time that you want to do, but you just, you know, I never give up on them. You know, I just kind of let them happen. And now because of things like that have happened recently in my life, now it's just like, what else can I do? You know, just just keep pushing and what did I think about when I was a kid and all right, let's go and do it. Yeah, you certainly turned your dreams into reality. From the time you were conscious, pretty much, it sounds like there was always violence in your life. Never had that nurturing influence or a chance to rest. Do you remember how you used to feel within your younger self just going about your day-to-day -day life? Super confusing, you know, like I had a lot of aggression within me and it's only because that's you know, that was predominant in, in my life, like in my home life, which is kind of meant to be, you know, your sanctuary and, and where you're meant to feel safe to go home and to not have that, you know, to always be on edge and to not know how to deal with situations that pop up, like if someone at school was having a go at me or whatever it was, you know, it was kind of like 
bring up the fists and start slugging away, you know. Um, yeah, just not not really understanding what was going on, knowing that what was happening in my house wasn't normal because I couldn't hear any of the other kids talking about that. No one else was really turned up with bruises and cuts and blood all over their face or anything to school either. Yeah, so, so you knew it wasn't normal, but at the same time it had been happening for such a long time that it must have been somewhat normalised to you. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, just normalised, but, you know, not knowing how to escape it as well, you know. So I just try to turn my energy to somewhere else. Like I was always with a smile and, you know, it was always, you know, hundreds of kids would come to my house and, like, we'd go ride or skate or build ramps or whatever it was, you know. Like I was always around a lot of people and I guess I was – pretty influential back in those days then. Like my brother used to say, you're either going to be like, you know, some sort of motivational speaker or a car salesman or an actor or something like that, you know, because, you know, I just I just kept enjoying life, you know, but not really known. But I think as well it was really more forced upon. So, you know, there was a lot of joy that was going on on the outside that people were seeing but not really on the inside. So yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, just just trying to work that out, which took a long time. Because no one knew what you were going through. So although you had that mask on and a lot of people in your life, you must have felt like you couldn't really connect with any of them on a level uh, like what you needed because no one was going to understand what was going on at home. What was your relationship like with your mum? I mean, she was, she was a good provider, you know, as much as she could. She, you know, because she went through child abuse as well from, as I said, like her mother, my grandmother, you know, she was, um, she was emotionally detached from, from everything, like so emotionally immature to even try and talk to her about any of this. She would kind of dismiss it or she would just get angry about it or just be saying, you know, what can I do? And, you know, with sort of my brother and sister and I would say, look, just leave the dude, let's go, you know. Which is and the typical like, response, isn't it? Yeah, she's just too scared, you know. She, she didn't know what to do. Like, you know, as I said, there's, it wasn't as knowledgeable as it is now, you know, and definitely of the, the long-term effects of it all. And, you know, she grew up in the country where you just kind of don't speak about that. You don't talk about what's going on in your own household. You know, so things were tough, you know, and my mum, you know, she wasn't like a career person at all. Like she, she, you know, worked from the age of 14, pretty much left school. And, you know, so there was tough times for us growing up as kids. Like, you know, we'd have to go out and collect cans and bottles and stuff like that just to get any sort of money to, to pay rent or for us to eat or anything like that. So, or I'd be, you know, at the tip pulling apart bike parts and making a bike and trying to sell them or catching frogs down the local creek and selling yeah. frogs to pet shops or yeah. doing whatever I could. So you had to be to pretty uh, pretty entrepreneurial. I had to be, yeah. I just, uh, you know, I kind of had to be at, at that stage. And I just, you know, I just knew there was more to me and I, there was more worth. So I just, um, once I started exploring, I just, you know, got excited about that. Not excited about making money as such, but excited about the thrill of the chase to be able to make the money. I yes. Guess. And I guess 
freedom as well because you would have felt like you were trapped for so long and couldn't get away from this dark cloud hanging over your life and must have wanted nothing more than to break free from that. When you talk about the abuse, it was really the physical violence and then emotional abuse. Yeah, I mean, emotional, physical, sexual, you know, all of the above. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, like it, it's a crazy time looking back, you know. I, I'm, I'm thankful for my struggles to for what I'm able to achieve now because, you know, even my paddle down to Bondi, I was before I went in the water, you know, I was like, well, if that didn't break me as a kid and I'm still here, you know, all I'm doing is paddling in the ocean for 17 days. Mm. Like, yeah, so even the, <laughs> the absolutely outrageous feats that you've achieved since then must have seemed in some ways easy compared to surviving the abuse and surviving what you went through as a as a child which is just crazy to think about so after was it sort of six seven years living with your mum's boyfriend and living under that abuse and then you actually you ended up moving to the gold coast uh yeah so he was around from i guess you know the age of six and seven and then he went away jail or something like that for a little while and then he came back and was about 12 and then um we kind of floated around a little bit and then yeah when i was 17 i just you know moved out of home and, and packed my car and just moved to the gold coast and i guess my life started again there you know that's how i see it and when you got there, did you pretty much launch into the drugs straight away and the, the party scene trying to escape from whatever the hell was going on in, inside you? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd always been into that, you know, as an escape, like, you know, from the age of 13, 14, you know, drinking and, and taking a lot of acid and pretty much everything, experimenting with, with everything, you know, um, back in the day. And then same thing, you know, back up on the Gold Coast and, you know, spending a lot more time in the water, you know, like surfing, you know, seven and nine hours every day, two or three sessions just constantly and pushing myself more. But, yeah, of course, you know, the whole, you know, drug and alcohol, you know, abuse was still there. And, you know, it was kind of like back in those days as well, you know, 20, 25 odd years ago, it was kind of like that was the surf culture as well. You know, it's not. Not like how it is now. So again, you know, not the only role models were like other people who were drinking more or, or smoking more weed or something like that, you yeah, know. Yeah. But still surfers and still on the tour and everything. So you're kind of looking going, well, they're doing it. So mm. maybe it's not too bad. But uh yeah, again, you know, just trying to work it out, you know, for a long time and, and just using that as a tool and just going up and down, up and down all the time. But again, you know, just didn't have that strong role model. Did you know? Really did you know that you were dealing with really intense trauma? Were you aware of that, or what was your sort of understanding of what had happened to you and and where it had led you? Uh, I didn't. Nah. By this time, like I didn't really understand it. I knew there was a lot of aggression inside of me, and I knew why. Um, but to try and alleviate it, deal with it, tools around it. You know, as I said, there were just. It just wasn't there, you know. Like I've been with a lot of therapists, but they didn't really give me any anything that worked at all. You know, they 
you know, most of them haven't gone through it themselves to, to really know what tools to give you. Mm. They just tell you to eat properly or do this and that, like the basic textbook things. And yeah. you're like, I'm done with that. But that's I'm not going to cut it. <laughs> like, this isn't working. Whatever yeah. you're telling me is not working. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And did you have any experience with dissociating? Like when that abuse was happening to yourself, did you see yourself as, as separate to the person who was going through it or because um, I know we hear often about people who've gone through complex trauma or being traumatized in some way that they need to separate themselves from the actual abuse that's happening at the time to try and deal with it or go into denial. Did you experience anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, the biggest lesson in the whole thing is acceptance. You know, it's, it's about accepting what happened having some sort of understanding around it that, you know, it wasn't your fault. And then accepting that you can't change it, you know, all you can do is just try and look at some sort of positives out of it to be able to use it to keep on going forward, you know, and then then the long road starts. So being a victim of abuse, did you blame yourself for it for a long time? Yeah, yeah, of course. But I blame myself for a different reason because um, it wasn't until I was 22 that my mum sent me a letter saying, your dad's not this guy, which is the same as my brother and sister, it's some other guy. So I'd always grown up with, you know, people telling me this is all your fault because you were born. If you weren't born, none of this would happen to our family. You know, so then at 22, I'm like, shit. Well, it is my fault because I was born. Even so, I like. So you thought your dad? I, uh, you thought your dad had left because of you? Yeah, who wasn't even my dad anyway. It was my brother and sister's dad. Right. So my, you know, my mum and my real dad, you know, both had families. You know, they cheated on their families and then out I popped. You know, but no one told me until I was 22. But people so, blamed you for that. People blame me for that. Oh, right. And then I blame myself for it. Once I found out, I'm like, well, shit, it is my fault because I was born, yeah. you know. And then it was like, you know, again, like trying to accept after that to go, hang, I'm not the one who cheated here. Yeah. That's, that's their doings. That's that's not even for me to deal with. That's, you know, if other people got an issue, that's their issue, you know. That's not my problem at all. And did you ever think that it was partly your fault that you were getting abused by these abusers because of course it wasn't but does part of your mind sort of convince you that part of it's down to you that that's happening yeah like at the time i remember thinking what am i doing to deserve this and obviously that would ring in your head and you would sort of you know tiptoe around like or like try and work out what was going on beforehand to be put in that position and and again, you know, it just goes back to that, that accepting that, you know, he was and my grandma, they're just like, they're just alcoholic, crazy people, you know, and they're just. But when, but when you're, when you're a kid, you just, you're so far away from being able to understand all that. And you're in this position of growing in your life and your brain's totally malleable and you're very vulnerable in a lot of ways. So you can't just work that all out for yourself yeah it, sh it shouldn't happen to to anyone 
at all, no matter what what age they are. It's hard to deal with, you know, and I just didn't know how to at all. And as I said, you know, it wasn't there wasn't the tools, it wasn't the people, it wasn't spoken about. It was, you know, it's not like it is now. Like even still now, there's, there's a hell of a long way to go. Mm. But you know, at least there's some sort of dialogue around. Did you feel like you could tell anyone about it at the time? Did you tell any friends, even when you were messed up on drugs or alcohol? Did you ever talk about it or did you really feel like you had to keep all of it inside yourself? Yeah, for the most part, I just kept it all in. You know, definitely I just kept it in. I think like, you know, I told a couple of kids while I was sitting on, on top of the skate room, but, you know, I guess I just didn't get the reaction that I thought I was going to get, I guess, you know, and... That, that was kind of it. You know, it was kind of, yeah, the, all the neighbours knew and I was friends with all the neighbours and they knew and they just did nothing about it as well. So I'm mm. like, well, shit, how, who am I going to tell? And yeah. even the police at the time, you know, the police knew. Police weren't doing anything, like nothing at all. So I'm like, well, who, who do I go to? Yeah, so to you feel totally people. hopeless then because it's like, well, if people know about it, other adults and even the police and they still can't do anything or like, who do you go to after the police? So... Yeah, it just must have felt so hopeless being in that situation. Yeah, definitely. And just, you know, lost respect for authority and for laws, really, you know, like they're meant to be there to protect you. Mm. And also like teachers at school because I'd turn up at school and I'd have bruises all over me and then I'd get put on detention because they thought I was fighting on the way to school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just like, yeah. I can't win here. Yeah. Sleeping on the beach in blocks all night, now I come to school to try and do the right thing and mm. I get put on detention for it. Yeah, so you just feel like the whole world's against you and so many other young people would be able to relate to a story like that where the social circle they're mixing in or whether it's school or whatever club they're involved in thinks, oh, this kid's a bad kid or a bad egg or whatever, but actually they're having all this terrible stuff happen to them and they're just trying to cope and deal with it in some way and you're, you're pigeonholed and seen in a certain light and then people actually make it harder for you perhaps because they don't understand what's going on or they, they don't make a, a read on you. And then be easy for a kid in that situation to feel like, oh, well, clearly there's something wrong with me or I'm supposed to be the enemy or I'm supposed to be the bad guy and then lean into playing that role because it's like, well, if society says this is who I am, then at least I'll do a good job of, of being the bad guy then. Yeah, definitely. You know, I was just lucky, I guess, to, as I said, have, have another outlet of sports to always draw me to and just being inquisitive and wanting to travel and, everything just seeing more of what's what's out there and what's available but yeah i mean it's a huge problem it's you know you probably know it's like probably like in the 90s percent of people who are incarcerated probably went through the same stuff as i went through and like you said they just you know ended up they made that one bad choice along the way that's sent him that way you know and now they're stuck on that cycle and like i said you know the groups the gangs or whoever it might be is drawn me in and they, they look for someone and um yeah it just turns out to be a bad bad someone for them i guess yeah, and so many people which people who are going through trauma generational trauma looking for community looking for some sort of escape someone who's going to look after them and then that leads them down the wrong road but we're all looking for the same things as humans which is to be safe and to be nurtured and to find somewhere to belong and if we can't get that through the normal avenues then we'll seek it elsewhere and then that can lead to 
trouble, but it's not really, it's not really the fault of the person uh, who ends up suffering as a, a consequence of it. Um, and so you ended up making some attempts on your life in your early 20s after all of this stuff added up. Can you just talk about that briefly and, and getting to that point in your life before obviously you turned it all around in an absolutely prolific way? Yeah, I mean, I made a few attempts, you know, like I say four, but it's probably like five or six, you know, before, you know, pretty good goes at it. But it just becomes normalised, you know, like there's not enough that's spoken out about, you know, what suicide is and how people come about with it and what depression is as well. And, you know, we're so, we're so stuck on uh, people who are depressed, they're, you know, they're the ones that are quiet, sitting in the corner, not talking to anyone, not doing anything, sitting inside, not going out, antisocial, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But it's so wrong because I don't know why it doesn't change because when you have a look at people who commit suicide, it's always, oh, my God, they're life of the party. They're, you know, the, the school captain. Yeah, the this person or that, that you least expect. Like, you know, they're like, it's, it's the active depressive ones that end up going through with it. Mm. Uh, and that's that's how I was, you know. I was always active. I was always achieving, but there was just so much going on on the inside of me as well. But it's also, you know, the the so-called professionals that I was going to kept saying to me, you know, you got to learn to live with this for the rest of your life, and all you can do is learn to manage it. Mm. And it's just like you get to a point where you think, I don't want to learn to manage this anymore because whatever you're telling me is not working, and I'm hurting myself, and I'm hurting everyone else around me. And I'm, you know, sick of being on this cycle all the time of, of spiraling and out of control and having highs and major lows and then, you know, living a life that I just don't don't want to keep living. So you come up with that decision to to check out, but it's not like it's a spare of the moment thing. Like it becomes normalised, you know, there's a there's thought process into it of, you know, why that's the only option for you now. And it's not just for yourself and it's people who actually go through it. It's, it's not a selfish reason. One's stop hurting yourself, but the other is stop hurting everyone else that's around you, you know. So then once you go through one attempt, then, you know, the can of worms open then. You know, you've already made an attempt, so it becomes normalised again. Then you make another one and then it becomes even more normalised again and you can justify why this is like, you know, a normal option when you were making these attempts after you survived them, were there people there for you who were trying to talk some sense into you or listen to you or be there for you? Or was it very much you're alone each time and then you were alone afterwards again? Yeah, it's just alone each time. And I, I try to speak to a couple of people and they're just like, you know, there's that old stereotypical thing, oh, you're just doing it to to get attention or this or that. If you're going to do it, just do it properly. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I thought I was doing a problem, you know. Jesus. <laughs> like, so you think, I can't even do that right. Like, what am I doing? You know, I can't even live life properly and I can't even end life properly. Like, what's going on here? So, yeah, yeah just very alone and just want to process it and go through it. And then, yeah, on the, on the last one, I was probably, I don't know, maybe five, ten seconds away from it being totally over and I got found just in time and sort of, revived a little bit and and uh, come together but you know that was like that was a big shift in my life that one was what changed after that one well it was strange like as soon as i sort of come to it was like a voice was in my head 
that said to me, what happens if you go to another place and you're still dealing with this shit and you can't get rid of it? How about you have one last go to do it yourself to change this, you know? So that's what I did, you know, and all I thought about was where was some place that I'd felt the most healthy, happy, like naturally happy, um, free, and that was back in the ocean, back in the warm water, surfing again, just around people, like-minded people in the water, and so that's what I did. So I went back to the, come back to the Gold Coast and started surfing again and just emerged myself in, in the water as, as I could and just try to understand, like, you know, why is this such a, an amazing healing um, element and an aspect of, of my life and a lot of other people as well. And why? So, why is it? What is it about the water and, and surfing and nature and being out there that is so healing for someone with trauma? Well, I mean, I, I believe it. it's because there's so much movement that's going on in the water. You know, when you, you're watching white caps and watching waves and there's so much movement that's going on out there that you're, you're reprogramming what's going on in your head. But also you can't think about what's going on on the land, you know, while all that information's coming in as well. And then when you catch a wave, you know, you can't think about anything else. You know, all you think about is that wave and what you're going to do on it and, and getting through it, you know. So what it does, it just simplifies life, you know. It just really narrows it down to... So in the moment, to what you're doing, you know, and you're not overthinking everything that's going on, on on land because your mind's getting occupied and stimulated by by natural elements. And as I said, you know, it just simplifies things down to just being in the moment to do it because you can't think of anything else. You know, you can't think. I can't think about what happened to me as a kid when I'm, you know, surfing a wave, five foot wave or something, and the lips coming over, and it's like shallow underneath and you know you're just trying to survive that way but i don't know what happened as a kid so kind of that's all you all you're thinking about you know so so are you uh you know, that's how i feel about it anyway you know just just that movement so it's like you're doing emdr therapy with the eye movement desensitization reprocessing so you're, with your eyes just darting around watching what's going on you know it's just uh just helping new information come in and without knowing, the old information is just dispersing and, and coming out. So there's a flow that's coming in and there's a flow that's coming out at the same time, you know. So to be able to have something just natural and, and free, you know, to be able to do that, I, I think it's an incredible thing. But you don't have to be in the ocean to do that. You know, you can now I know what it is and I understand it, you know, if I get any any sort of stressful situation or anything where I can just use everything that's around me, just movement of the trees, different colours of the trees, the grass, the people moving around and, you know, I understand, you know, people say, oh, I just love people watching. It works as the same thing. You know, you're sitting out front of the cafe and you're just watching the world go by, you know, you just let everything just desensitise of what's going on and just taking new information from the outside. So it's really about allowing you to look at the bigger picture of everything and look, you know, further than the horizon and wider than the peripheral vision of your life, you know, instead of just living in that tunnel vision of, of what's ahead and what's just been behind you, you know, it really opens things up to, you know, that 360 view of what your life's actually been and what it actually is in the moment and where it's going as well. 
So how do you go from realizing that your happy place was being in the water to saying, all right, I'm going to paddleboard 800 Ks now? <laughs> so I just, uh, you know, I knew there was something special in the water, but I uh, knew I needed to really engulf myself in it. So I came into Rainbow Surf Club, asked to borrow a paddleboard and I paddled straight out. It's about two kilometers straight out to sea. And I was like, I didn't think about it. I just paddle, 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 paddled. And then sort of stopped and went, holy shit, like I'm a long way out. And I just felt really vulnerable and I hadn't surfed for a long time. So, you know, my, my body was sore from it. And, you know, with the physical pain, the emotional pain from my past started to come up. And, you know, I was really just started to think of my breath and just calm myself down out there and really enjoy just being in the moment, you know, like feeling vulnerable, but, you know, accepting it and embracing it as well and, and you know, turning the, the vulnerability to comfortability more like and uh, just really enjoying it out there and not thinking about, you know, if there were sharks or anything like that or what could happen out there. It was just being grateful in that moment of, of where I am and what I'm doing. And I thought, all right, I've got to explore this even more so I can explain this to other people because no one at that time had really spoken about, you know, why or how you know, being in the ocean or being a surfer is so healing for you. And that's still, you know, it's only just touched on now. People say, oh, you go surfing and it's, it's healing for you. But no one really explains what it is, you know. So I just really wanted to find out. So I paddled in and I'm, and I'm goal, always goal-driven. So I thought, all right, I'll go home and see what the world records are of paddleboarding and I'll learn to paddleboard and I'll train, I'll drop everything aside and, and uh, I'll do this big paddle. And that's what I did, you know, I sold my car and if I need to get anywhere, I'd run. And I had to put people at, at arm's length away from me just to um, just to focus on what I knew was right and how I was built and everything that I'd learned along the way just to do everything intuitively and not listen to really anyone else, how anyone else thinks I should be doing things. It's just, it was, it was a matter of really just taking it into my own hands and doing what I thought was right and, uh, yeah, January 3rd, 2015, walked down to my local beach, plonked the board in the water, started paddling. And where did you go from and to? Apart from the Gold Coast, so Rainbow Bay, uh, and I paddled down to Bondi, so it was like 808 kilometres in 17 days. So what was that like in reality? Because you're obviously a, a man who gets an idea in his head and then says, yeah, I'm going to do that. And other people would say, you're absolutely mental. Definitely don't do that. How did it, uh, how did it compare to the actual reality once you got out there? I uh, understand you saw a fair few fins in the water. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was two kilometers into it and I thought, what am I doing? Yeah. This, is, this is crazy. <laughs> And it was a storm as well, and like my first, uh, my first leg was from Coolangatta to Byron Bay, which was sixty-eight kilometres. And in my training, consecutively, I'd only paddled forty kilometres, so I didn't even know if I was going to make the first leg. So I've never paddled that distance before. That's the fun of it. And uh, yes, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. So I just paddled, you know, and I just had to work it out along the way and just look at like headlands ahead and go, okay, that's where I need to reach or, or think of surf spots like Black Rock and go, okay, I've just got to get there. And, you know, I knew I was paddling over shark breeding grounds even on the first day, you know, tiger sharks and stuff. And But, you know, I'd get through it and think, well, I got through it, so keep on going, you know. 
So you would check in at night and like stay overnight and then go back out? Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, I just mud mapped it where I thought I could get to um, and just pick surf clubs along the way and send the next day's rations to put on my board and call them up. And obviously, you know, surf clubs are right on the beach, so I didn't have to carry my board too far. And I'd just come in just, you know, on just when the sun went down and started to get dark and, most times I made it okay. A couple of times I had to, I didn't make it and uh, had to dig a hole and sleep in the sand on, on the beach and put the board over the top of me because there was nothing else around. And I'll just get up in the morning and start paddling again. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was exciting. The whole, the whole way it was exciting, but it was like, there was a lot of emotions, you know, like each of these events that I do, it really compacts what life is. So, one day of an event is like a month or three months of emotions and personal challenges that most people go through, you know, so it's just condensed down one after another. There was a lot of sharks. There was 21 shark encounters. Two of them were, were packs of sharks. Most of them were white pointers over 15 foot, circled, knocked off my board. You know, then it was like loss of food and water. Knocked off my board by waves and stuck underneath the boards and curl up underneath me and drag me and be semi unconscious underwater. And I couldn't really think about what just happened because in two minutes or five minutes, something else was going to happen or there was going to be another shark. So I couldn't just pile up all this like emotion on me. I just had to go, shit, okay, all right, keep going because something else is going to come. Just deal with it, you know? So what I did out of, um, intuition to be able to keep going is obviously you know the building blocks of life of how you deal with things you know not overthink what's going ahead accept what's just happened behind and just be have the tools ready for when the next thing comes we're just going to take a quick break to hear about a brilliant new podcast called samson's stronger that i really encourage you guys to go and check out Often the hardest stories to tell are the ones that need to be told the most. This is an incredibly informative series focusing on the stories of child sexual abuse survivors and bringing the conversation forward on what's always been a taboo topic. Take a listen. What does it take? I always knew something was wrong, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. To grow stronger than your past. Because I knew if I spoke up, something bad would happen. What does it take for a man to overcome the sexual abuse he endured as a child? This is where resilience comes in. It was bringing about awareness that the suffering that survivors and victims of child sexual assault endure is nothing that anyone could describe. Of course, only we know. So for me, the more I talk about it, the less it becomes a secret. And that's the approach that I take, is to suck the energy out of the secret and it just becomes a story. From Samson, the Survivors and Mates Support Network, this is Stronger, sharing for the first time the courageous recovery stories of male survivors of child sexual abuse and their supporters. Samson's Stronger podcast, available at samson.org.au forward slash podcast and on your podcast app. So when you got through that experience, which is absolutely epic, what did that do for you? Did you feel like you had a different relationship with your trauma and your ability to process that by the end of it or uh, a different sort of self, self-worth? self And obviously you're inspired to want to go and do even more crazy shit after that. 
Yeah, look, after after day five of the paddle, everything completely changed. Um, you know, day four, I was stung by jellyfish. I was like feeling sick. I was half paralyzed. I, you know, I'd paddled for a long time. I was sore. I was just, you know, with so much emotional, like so much physical pain. There was like all this emotional pain from my past and voices just going crazy in my head, you know, after four days being alone, just seeing blue sky and blue water and you know there was a lot that was sort of going on in my head and, and I got into Coffs Harbour and I just thought shit is you know can I go any further you know and then sort of just started processing it for the first time of of what I'd actually gone through and come through over those days leading up to it and then I got up in the morning and it was just like I'd never paddled before. My body felt perfect and it was an overcast, beautiful day and I was just like I was just going for a normal paddle, nice and fresh. And I put the board in the water, started paddling. I was about five minutes into it. A white pointer went past me about 10 metres away and I just, you know, I just said, g'day, mate, and just kept on paddling, you know, and I just, <laughs> things just changed, changed for me that day, you know. like So even though it wasn't a suicide mission I was on, I knew there was a high possibility that, you know, I wasn't going to make it alive, but I was at that time of starting, you know, I was willing to die for what I believed in. But after day five, it, the script had changed and I was just now willing to live for what I believed in, you know, and I was doing it to live and doing it for other people to live, show them another way, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it was incredible. And then once I pulled into, into Bondi, you know, it's like the whole weight of the world just dropped off my shoulders and, and, you know, I was, for the first time in my life, I, I was proud of myself, you know, not just for doing the paddle, but for everything that I'd achieved in my life and, you know, what I'd left out in the ocean as well. Like, I'll be forever, forever grateful for the paddle, you know, like, it's, even thinking about and talking about it, it's so emotional for me because it was just such a changing moment in my life, you know, like, 24th of January, like when I came in there at three o'clock in the afternoon, it was just something had completely changed in, in me and in my life and who I was and how I looked at life going forward. But I didn't understand what it was, you know, and I didn't want to come out and, you know, I got to the beach and there was a camera crew and everything there and my mates and, you know, no one really wanted to talk to me too much because they could see that there was something going on. They just didn't know what, you know, they didn't know how, how to talk to me about it yeah. either. You know, I didn't, didn't know how to voice it as well, you know. So, you know, I came back up to the Gold Coast and sat at my uh, little cafe down the road here, Little Marley, and I just uh, sat there for about a month nearly every day just watching the world go by and just watching how everything had changed. You know, the whole world had completely changed its face like on the time that I'd been out in the water to come back and just I was really noticing all the negativity that was going on in the world and, and just what people were complaining about you know not being grateful for and you know I just wanted to get back in the water and keep on paddling but I just thought I can't just keep paddling in the oceans for the rest of my life so I was like right I need to test this so that's why I went back to Thailand and I set myself this three-day non-stop test that you know, I don't think anything's impossible, but it was either going to be something absolutely incredible that, you know, I was going to be able to do or it was going to break me. You know, and either, either way, I saw that as a win. And what ended up happening was it broke me, you know, so I was six kilometres from finishing it and my body completely shut down and I couldn't take another step. I tried for 20 minutes. and But the good thing about it was 
you know, I'd, even though I was in so much physical pain that my body just couldn't move, I had no emotional pain from my past at all, nothing negative. So it was really a big win for me. And, and anyway, so I had a little bit of time out, about four hours, and then I ended up going back and, and finishing it off because it was a three-day challenge I set myself and I was still in day three. And and then, yeah, and then afterwards, I just I knew something special would happen to me in the ocean and now it was really time to work it out what it was. So then my next challenge was to escape from Chicago to Santa Monica along Route 66. And um, for me, it was just about skating from point A to point B, knowing I was going to have tests and challenges along the way and really just be able to dissect what, what I did intuitively on the paddle to get through these challenges. And then once I work it out, how do I simplify that to be able to voice that to other people? So with that first paddle, where you clearly had that day or that night or that period where you broke through some sort of massive barrier and you flipped that switch. And it seems like from that point on, you were a different man. On reflection in the month after that and then going to Thailand, did you work out what that was or were you able to understand what actually happened in your head or were you still looking for that answer when you went and did the, the skateboarding through the Mojave Desert? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was still looking for those answers, you know, and again, that's why I just gave myself that time. Like I, I live a pretty busy life and I'm not doing events anyway, like on the business sort of side of things of, of everything that I do and, you know, I always have a lot going on. So, you know, the events are even though they're grueling for me, you know, skate for 15 hours a day through 57 degree heat sometimes, you know, it's, um, they're like a holiday for me as well. You know, if, if that's my time, you know, that's my time to, to work out everything that's going on in the process and, and to really test and improve, you know, different tools that I've learned along the way, like throughout my whole life. And, and again, you know, what it did during the paddle and, you know, it's, it's a combination of, so many different things. There's no one particular thing. Like I touched on before, the EMDR therapy. You know, I was able to work out what that what that actually is, and I didn't know before going into the paddle. I hadn't really heard of EMDR therapy, and you know, it wasn't until I spoke to my friend, who's a psychologist, and he explained what it was. So I researched and went, "Oh, okay." But they're not really. From all my research, they hadn't really explained it just in a simple term. You know, like I was saying before, you know, just like people watching. You know, that's essentially that's that's what you're doing or when you look out to the ocean and it feels calming you know and the stormy of the ocean the calm you feel because there's more activity that's going on out there for us to compute you know so there was things like that and then also as I mentioned before you know just working towards those goals you know those little milestones where for me it was like working headland to headland and when times got tough you know it was hard on my body and I was going slow you know I would bring that back to look at a tree that's up ahead on the beach or a rock or whatever it is. And sometimes thinking I wasn't going anywhere because I was also paddling against the, the natural current. And, but being able to look at something and going, okay, well, I've just passed that. So even though it feels like I'm going nowhere, I'm still moving forward, you know, and, and then really just to be able to break that down to even more to, you know, our basic foundations of every single person's individual life is, you know, the connection to your breath, connection to yourself and to connection, knowing that we keep moving forward. Now, whether you're believing in a clock or anything, you know, some people don't believe in clocks or all that, but, you know, so long as the sun rises and sun sets, 
you know, time keeps moving forward, you know, and we keep growing, we keep moving. Even if you're sitting there, things keep moving forward around you and they don't go backwards. Nothing goes back and nothing's stationary. So that's what we need to do. You know, if we can't breathe, then obviously we die. You know, we don't have connection with ourselves or we can't do anything. So some people might say, you know, say what's the most important things in your life. They might say family, love, relationships, work, money, blah, blah, blah. But unless you've got your breath, your connection with yourself and moving forward, you're not getting any of that. You don't have any of that. So it's a, it's a place that I suggest to people that they can go back to, you know, that's their bare foundations. If they need to dial it back and start again to go, right, I've got to press the reset button. I've got my breath. I've got myself. All right, let's take these steps and start moving forward. Because otherwise, you know, like for me, you know, you, even though like I dropped backwards and I'd go in dark holes and everything would send me all the way back. I wasn't going all the way back. I was only going halfway back, you know. So things were still, the whole foundations were still wobbly for me underneath. So I was never going to get better. It's just like, you know, the building blocks of, of uh, high rise or something, you know. If the foundations aren't good, you don't just bring it back down to the 10th floor and build it up and thinking it's going to be good. You've got to come back all the way down to the foundations, make sure they're strong and then you build up for yourself, you know? So it gives people that, that starting point. It just simplifies life as well, you know, like of where they need to actually go back to take that breath and start moving again. What's the relationship between the extreme physical exertion and then processing the trauma? Why do you push yourself to such an extent or what do you get out of that when you're so exhausted and you're not sure if you're going to be able to complete whatever the challenge is? What is the direct impact that that has on you and processing your trauma and everything on the emotional side of things? I purposely put myself in physical, mental and emotional stress and trauma to work out how I keep going in a calm and focused way to get the job done no matter what. Now, all of my events I do, I don't do races. I don't want to be the first. I don't want trophies. I don't want anything like that. You know, my, all my events are for a completely different purpose. And to be able to push myself that far really shows me and other people who live vicariously through my challenges of what's possible in life. That's what it's all about now. Like, I don't need to do any more ultra endurance events. Whether I do or not, I don't know, but uh, I'll, I'll never do like another 56-day skate across the US for the same reason or paddle to Bondi for that same reason because I don't need to. You know, I, I've worked out what I needed to out of there and, as I said, they all had a purpose far beyond, you know, just like a world record or, or the world first. You know, far beyond that, you know, that, that doesn't even come into play with it, you know. I only do things that no one's done before because if no one's done it before, then I don't even know it's possible. So there's a challenge even before I get started and I've really got, to, I've got myself to work out how I do that physically, mentally and emotionally to be able to do what no one's done before. Now, I don't think anything's impossible. Impossible just means that no one's worked out how to do it yet. Yeah. So work it out. And it really seems like it's the principle of it that excites you and motivates you to, to prove that to people that actually it's just your mindset and the way that you perceive things that's going to make all the difference to whether you can or you can't. Like the Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. That seems to be sort of what you live your life by. Um, so 
every time that you complete a challenge like this or you push yourself to some new extreme and you prove that the impossible is actually possible, how does that make you view your past and the traumas that you went through? Like, does it make you feel like you have more control over that or like you're a different kind of person or does it, do you think about that at all? Is it about trying to prove that even though all that stuff happened to you, that you're still this incredibly strong human being who can survive anything and about just proving that to yourself again and again and again, or you don't think of it like that? No, I don't really think of it like that anymore. It's just, you know, I've got zero emotional attachment, negative emotional attachment to my past now. You know, like I don't have any PTSD from from my past at all. I don't think of it in, in any sort of negative way. I don't, it's not like I, I block it out at all. You know, it, it's still there. It's just, it's just non-existent in my life. I'm a different person. I'm, you know, I'm proud of who I am. And, you know, I just, I do what I want to do. You know, I live where I want to live. And, you know, I set myself challenges. And it's not to say that life's super easy for me now. You know, of course I have my, you know, hard daily challenges that I, that I need to do, as we all do, especially in the last couple of years. You know, there's been a lot of new challenges faced with, with people. So, you know, and I've, of course, faced those, but, you know, my goal's strong going forward, you know. I have an infinite goal that I'll, I'll never reach, but at the same time, I attain every single day. So, you know, I think that I'm going to live another 100 years, but I'll also live each day like it's my last. Yeah. Well, all, all that all that, uh, all that, salt water, mate, you might. <laughs> so... Um, how did you get to that point? Because so many people who've gone through any sort of trauma or uh, who want to change their lives, they feel like that rest of their life is going to be dictated by by their past. So what has been key to getting you to the point where you now don't really think about that or you're separate from that? Uh, was, it, was it due to these extreme physical challenges that you've managed to overcome or how did you get to this place that you're in now, which is obviously such a good place after you've been at the at the absolute bottom in your life? Yeah, it's, it's definitely through my challenges. You know, as I said, I, I, I went down all the professional paths and that, and, and I, I did nothing for me at all. You know, that they put me in the worst position. You know, so I took it upon myself. But I'm not saying to everyone you should go and paddle for 17 days in the ocean, you know. Like, yeah. I was pretty lucky to, to make it and not get eaten alive. Yeah, it sounds so like it. Anyone on here, go and paddle <laughs> in the ocean for 17 days by yourself or skateboard across the country. If yeah. you want to skateboard across the country, let me know. It's, it's a bit of a big ask, man. You've got to realise that most people probably aren't cut out for that. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's a thing. It just seemed normal to me, you yeah. know, like jumping off of a hot air balloon just seems normal to me now. You know what I mean? I, the uh, the standard of what is normal got, you know, the bar got pushed up pretty high yeah. on the paddle. Pretty high. What do you say to people who aren't like that? Like they're not going to go and, and do something to that extent. Can you offer any advice to people in that situation? Yeah, of course. It's about testing and challenging yourself because every time you do test and challenge yourself and process it, you know, we, we become stronger and become proud of who we are and we get excited of, of who we are and what we can actually do. You know, there's a lot of people that may support us around us or give us advice, but ultimately it's up to, it's us that's getting ourselves up every single morning to get through each day to go through the challenges that we face. Now, we all face tests and challenges in the day, you know, whether it's 
you know, should we have a double shot or a triple shot latte today? Or should we go down the road? Or what car should we buy? Or do I should I stay in this job? Or should I get a new job to go and talk to that girl? Or should I not talk to the girl? You know, there's all these tests and challenges that we do where we just don't process them. So I just encourage people to, to test and challenge yourself and just to take the negativity out of it. You know, if someone says, oh, this is the hottest chili in the world, I bet you won't have it. And instantly you're going to go, nah. But if you say no, just change it to yeah and have a bite, you know, and then you're going to burn your mouth and it's going to be sore the next morning for sure. But, you know, you're going to live through it, you know, and then you go, oh, that wasn't that bad because what most people do is just overthink what's ahead, you know, and, and then once they actually do whatever the task is, they go, oh, that actually wasn't that bad. Yeah, you like know, the thinking about it is always worse than the actual reality. Exactly. You know, so the more that you test and challenge yourself and have fun with it, like, you know, turn things to a, to a yes, let's say, um, then the more you work out who you are and what you're capable of, but another thing as well that, you know, definitely should do in school is uh, allow people to explore their emotions. You know, we get so limited on social media of what our emotions should be, you know. You should be happy all the time. If you're not happy, you're depressed. If you're depressed, you should commit suicide. So kind of doesn't give us many options, you know, and people stop exploring because they think they've got to be happy or they think they've got to show people that they're happy all the time, even if they're not. Also, just to add to that is our understanding of happiness, I don't think is very well developed. And a lot of people, if you ask them, what do you want out of life? They say, I want to be happy. And you say, what does that mean? And they won't actually have a very good answer to that. Or they'll think that happiness is the euphoria of a, a beautiful summer's day with all my mates around. It's like, well, that's not achievable no one can live a life where they feel those real strong feelings of happiness every single day and what we really want is fulfillment and connection and purpose and feeling like we have value and our life means something not necessarily like we're on cloud nine all the time and i don't think that we have a very good understanding of that as individuals and as a society of what happiness actually is and what it means and then it's like if we don't know what to aim for how are we possibly going to get it yeah, ah, oh, man, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that one. It's just, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to work out what that purpose is, you know, and the purpose has got to be above yourself, you know. There's a higher purpose to, to everything, you know, and I'm not like a spiritual or religious sort of person or anything, but, you know, there's a bigger picture to everything out there and, you know, we're just one tiny speck of, of sand on a whole beach, you know, we're just, we're pretty insignificant, but we can make a change if we're a conscious community collective together, you know, and, and you're of service to, to other people to be able to help the, the greater good, you know, for, for everyone, no matter what that looks like, you know, you can't help everyone, but you can definitely uh, put yourself in, into a position where things are, are, are of purpose. And, you know, I learned that long, long ago with my bands, as I said, you know, they're all purposeful of why I do it you know it's not it's not to get National Geographic films or write books or anything like that you know they kind of come with hard work afterwards you know that doesn't just come you know but again you know the, the purpose of it isn't to be on TV it's because you know I do a film for National Geographic and it goes to 20 million people across the globe you know so 
that's the way I look at it. Like I'm not heavily into social media as I probably should be, but, you know, I don't look at spending all my time and effort to to reach, you know, 5,000, 10,000 people. You know, I put all my efforts into reaching millions of people and helping millions of people, you know. So it's kind of just a little bit different purpose, you know. I don't think of the now. I think of, you know, the bigger picture going forward. So, you know, I encourage people to do that. But definitely testing and challenging yourself is is a major part of that. But you reach millions of people now with this message, which becomes your your purpose of how many other people can I touch with this to make them reframe the way they view themselves and hopefully go and change their own lives to become something better. But that all started with you and what you've really earned and what I think you've become addicted to in the healthiest possible way is your own self-worth and wanting to develop that. And that's what you really get out of these challenges. Doesn't matter what it is. Anytime you challenge yourself, you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you persist and persevere and get the goal anyway. It increases your self-worth and it, it reiterates to yourself that you have value and there's a reason for you to be here. And I think that's what makes us want to live and want, want to do more and want to contribute and then ultimately want to help others to realize that within themselves because that's the most powerfully human thing about us. Yeah, definitely. You know, to be able to share those experiences with other people and, and as I said, you know, there's so many people that live vicariously through my challenges now. And, you know, I've done a fair few challenges now over the last eight years. And just uh, just rattle off some of the other ones that you've done, just so people understand. Uh, so, yeah, I did some 800 kilometer paddle and then I paddled around Phuket Island on stand up paddleboard as well. And then skateboarded from Chicago to Santa Monica along Route 66. I pushed a car with the Gold Coast community for. 25 kilometers, uh, a three ton pickup truck down the highway. I've ran a marathon carrying a mattress, like a whole marathon, 42.2 kilometers, carrying a mattress with the message never lay down, never give up. The Melbourne marathon with a camera rig on me, battery pack, which weighed about 12 kilos, and a camera in front of me. So I live streamed the whole thing. I mean, running along with my bobblehead, sort of bouncing around. How's your, how's your back after that, man? Your chiropractor must get a workout. Ah, uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely, you know, the hardest part is that you can't really train for these events because I'm, I'm a midfoot striker when I uh, hit the ground like running, but because there's so much weight, I have to flat foot. So it's completely different running style, like along there. So it's definitely like takes its, takes its toll on me for sure. And then, uh, then I did like the, the balloon jump, and that was incredible, you know. There was a lot that was going on on the ground beforehand, you know, there was camera crews and people like who were there and they were supposed to help with, like, the safety aspects of, like, the ropes of this little runway that I had to go across to get off the balloon and, you know, but they were just so in awe. There was a person standing on top of the balloon while the sun's rising sort of thing. So it was kind of, like, chaotic. And then the balloon had just taken off and I just realised, oh, we're about 500 foot off the ground and doesn't look real safe but we've got to, I'm not going to tell them to put the balloon down I've just got to deal with it and, and do my best up here but at the same time you know the sun started to come up and just sat in that moment just so grateful and, and just so in that moment just thought you know I'm the only person in the world to ever experience this as far as I know yeah you know, such a pure moment for myself what did you think about at that time did you think about anything or did you just take it in I just took it in, yeah. I, everything, everything just completely stopped around me, 
you know, uh, any thoughts of, you know, what's, is this safe enough for me to jump off, you know, no. 20 minutes? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> you know, a couple of, of key moments sort of flashed in my head, what I'd gone through and come through and, and you know, how I'd really pushed to be able to really work towards being there because on that day, that's the day that I wanted to be on top of a balloon, you know. I, like, I made it happen. It didn't just happen for me. Nothing just fell in my lap, you know. It was, it was a lot of work over the last eight years to be able to get myself into that position to experience something that no one in the world's ever experienced, you know. It's incredible. And it's something so simple as sitting on top of a hot air balloon, you know, and the flames burning my butt underneath, but, you know, watching that sun rise just over the, you know, over the fields in, uh, in Tennessee, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible moment. Right. And then it changed again because it's like, all right, we're up high enough, we, you've got to jump, you know, the balloon's overheating, we've got to go down or it's going to catch fire. So it's like, all right, time to go, you know. So then it changed to running off the balloon. And, and what, then, what was it like jumping off that thing? It was incredible. I mean, it was crazy as well. Because I'm standing up there, I had to cat crawl across the first part because of the parachute tops all loose, so I would have fallen down into the flame. So I had to like just put a cat crawl across the, the load tapes. But once I got onto the actual envelope of the balloon, it was kind of like a jumping castle, a little bouncing castle. So I was like, oh, that's pretty fun. <laughs> so I stood up on the edge there and I had a biplane that was coming around as well with a guy with a camera in it. And uh it was coming around, so I'm like, right, I've got to go now. So I just started running, and I didn't know how I was going to come off. You know, I thought I would just slide off the thing or tumble off or it was going to collapse and flip me off or had no idea. And I just started running and running, and I was thinking, shouldn't I be off the balloon now? Like, what's going on? And I ran down so far, I could see the people underneath, like, in the basket, and I went, that's not right, I've got to jump. So I just jumped off this balloon. And you have to look at the photos. It's like I'm running vertically like three stories down this balloon. I've got no idea how I was still on the balloon. All right. uh, because I couldn't see the land, I couldn't see the ground underneath me because all I, could, all I had was this big balloon underneath me. So the, the land just revealed itself. It's just like weightlessness just dropping out of the sky until – it caught me after about five or six seconds and the wind caught me and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then you know, I pulled the chute and then I looked down to see where I was going to land. Man, I love the way you talk about it. Like it was just like, it was all good and it was good fun. Like, because I'm just, even hearing you describe it is giving me that feeling in the stomach like you, when you get on the roller coaster and you're just like, oh, like I can feel that just hearing you describe it like that. Just, just absolutely insane thing to do. That moment sitting up there, I can imagine you thinking like, how the hell did I get here from being someone who tried so hard to essentially not be here anymore to sitting on top of a, a hot air balloon after all these other challenges that you've done? And it just goes to show what is possible and how far you can come from being at the absolute bottom to just doing things that are completely mind-blowing. And it must be such a trip to know that you're that same person who was in both situations and the key element in it all was you and you flipping that switch in your mind and you saying, well, if I've got nothing to lose, I might as well go for it. 
rather than I might as well end it. And then looking at the result of what happened, it's just <laughs> completely nuts, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as I said, like I'm always forward moving, but, uh, you know, every now and then I, you know, pinch myself and just think, wow, you know, like, you know, as we were saying before, you know, it's just I could have gone one way or the other, you know, and I'm um, just lucky that we, uh, I went this way and, you know, doing things like jumping off the balloon and, just having messages from, you know, people I grew up with and haven't, you know, connected with since I was like nine or 12 years old when I lived in Adelaide, you know, to have messages from them and then now understanding why I was the way I was as a kid, you know, and what I'm doing now, you know, like I I read the cheers and the tears that come through with it, you know, and, and, you know, it makes me, excited to keep on doing these things knowing that you know it's having they probably have more of an impact on more people in the world than than i realize you know and and you know i, I want people to get what they can out of it you know it's just uh, look at my events like uh, like a song you know people interpret songs in, in their own way that's beneficial to them and it might be different to the artist but that's how I look at my events, you know, people seem to get what they want out of my events and watching them vicariously, whether it's them doing their own challenges or them taking excuses out of their lives for just getting started again. Or, and the main reason is just giving them hope, you know. You know, we have that hope, like I did, we have that hope taken away and, and looking back, you know, no one's got that right to take any hope away from anyone else and say that something's impossible or it can't be done. You know, it's just, it's up to that person to go out and do it. We're all built differently. And, you know, there's some things that, as I said, you know, me jumping off a hot air balloon is normal to me, but apart from the, the balloon pilot, you know, everyone else that was sort of involved with the festival was saying it's impossible, you can't do it, blah, 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 you know. Like with all of my events, everyone tells me it's impossible and they try and talk me out of it. I'm like, you love that. Ah, I'll be right. You love it when they say that. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I say? How do you know? When did you last go? <laughs> well, no one has. <laughs> oh, no. Like, oh, no, but I'm like, uh, I'll be right. I hope yeah. you're making bets on these because uh, you always prove them wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, I just work it out, you know, like the, the, the calculated risks, you know, like because I, I'd never skydived before. I did the hot air balloon jump as well, so... <laughs> You know, I had to learn the skydive for it. So I just, I worked backwards, you know. I just, I thought of the message and I was like, right, what message do I want to share with people? And uh, it's just like, how do you, all right, it's time to reach new heights. I'm like, how am I going to reach new heights? All right, I'm going to stand on top of a hot air balloon and jump off. Mm. All right, to be able to do that, what do I need to do? All right, I better learn to skydive first. Yeah, and, and obviously people, people don't need to go to that extreme, but what you're saying is, if you've got an idea, if you think of something that means enough to you, set it as a goal and believe that you can actually do that and then put the steps in place to make that practical and make it happen and understand that you have the power within you to actually do those things and no one can take that hope or that faith or that effort from you. That's ultimately all down to you and that's the beauty of it. So do you feel like um, you've got anything else left to prove now? I mean, I've got nothing to prove at all, you know, it's... Um and all of it was about, you know, proving to myself and obviously testing and that, and, you know, I've written a couple of books and I've put out like a, a course website, which I'm super proud of. You know, it's, I say that's, that's my legacy. It's got 
all the elements in it, you know, to the, all of the events that I've done, of what I've learned along the way. And, you know, I've uh, evolved what breathwork, meditation and yoga, I think should be to be more results driven and uh, just evolve for what we've got going on in, in today's day and age to be, to be able to use and utilize, you know, those tools in not just uh, how it's commercial, how they're commercially marketed, but really help with trauma and really help to, to do what the marketing says it does. I just don't think that they do at the moment. So, so I evolved those and, um, you know, that's out of like being teaching, like training people and myself for the last 30 years of my life, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of work that's gone into them. You know, there's films out on National Geographic, which again, I'm super proud of, especially the first one, you know, which, which is about the paddle, it's called Heart of the Sea. You know, my brother's spoken out in it as well. And, you know, him and I have a better relationship now because of making the film than we ever did growing up, you know. And uh, had I not made the film, probably would have never have known, like, how proud he is of me and he would never have known how much I admire him also. Um, so, you know, there's been some super special moments in my life for that, but I've really got nothing else to, nothing to prove to anyone. I just... I just like keep just doing cool shit, you know, like just come up with something and go, hey, I'm just going to do this. Like, why not? And then, you know, it's always got a message to it. But again, you know, it's just about doing cool shit in life and, uh, yeah, just keep living my life, man. As I said, I'm here for another 100 years, so I just, I just keep busy living. So what do you say to people who think that they're never going to be anything or that, they're not cut out for it or fate hasn't smiled on them and, and it's just the way it is and they're just they're never going to achieve anything uh, extraordinary. What's your advice to people with that attitude? First thing is stop listening to other people and um, do the hard work. Nothing comes easy, but, you know, have your goal going forward and have your purpose that's bigger than the challenge itself and just always keep working towards it, you know, People want things instantaneously, but the good things, they're not instant, you know. Sometimes they take time. Sometimes you, you work at it and you've just got to put it aside just for a little bit and you work on another project. But just make sure all the projects that you do all marry up together, you know. So you're working towards your, your main goal that's ahead and you have just little job tasks that you do along the way. So don't look at, you know, I need to get a car as one job and then hit that milestone and then sit dead end or I need to get another job or I need to get a house or I need to get a girlfriend or whatever it might be. Don't look at them as dead ends. Have it so everything flows in together and it all makes sense for where you're going on that bigger picture of, of your own life, you know, and that, like I said, that infinite goal. So for me, it's simple, you know, the infinite goal is change the world. You know, now what does that actually look like? And it's an infinite thing, but I'm probably doing it parts every day just through even the challenges that I've said and speaking with you on, on podcasts and everything, you know, it's, we're changing people's lives every single day from it. But for me, that's my endless goal, you know, so I get up in the morning and, and that's what I work towards and everything I do, does it make sense towards that? Cool. Can I justify it? Yeah, it makes, yeah, cool. I justify that, my time and energy into it and my money into it. Yeah, cool. And, you know, this is this is the re reward out of it, you know, and it's, it's never a financial reward where I do anything. I just 
you know, how's it going to be um, suit my purpose for helping change the world and just do my part, you know. And I pick my missions as well, you know, like mine's about trauma and, and child abuse and overcoming and showing people what's possible, you know. I don't, I don't pick fights with everything that's negative that's going on in the world and I don't have a voice with everything, you know. I don't want to confuse people of, you know, what my purpose is and what I'm doing, you know. Like I, I stay on track and I stay on my path and, you know, so long as people are, have good intentions, morals and purpose, then you really, you, you can't be wrong, you know. Yeah, well, there's absolutely no doubt that you are changing the world, mate. Unbelievable what you've done. And, uh, yeah, here's to the next 100 years, eh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks to you, man. And, and, you know, you're doing incredible work and, you know, you, you're dedicated to your podcast and everything as well, which is, you know, it's a hard thing to do. It's consistency as well, you know, so you obviously know all about that and, you know, and, and you're making a, a big impact on, on everyone's lives as well and allowing, you know, a, a beautiful platform for people to be able to share their experiences as well for, for other people to get whatever they want out of it. That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Youngblood Media, and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.